name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Hi there, thanks for listening to this month's podcast. So this month we talked with William J. O'Hearn, who goes by Jay. Jay O'Hearn is a prolific author whose name you might know if you are around the Adirondack Mountains. He writes all about life in the North Woods, but one of his main interests is logging history. He's written several informative and richly detailed volumes that catalog the lives and times of Adirondack foresters and loggers. And it's remained a compelling topic for him over the years. He has published many books on the subject, including his most recent Adirondack Timber Cruising, which is about the development of timber cruising, logging, forestry, and talks about our relationship to our physical environment. In the book, Through Narratives of Everyday Lives, O'Hearn attempts to make the case that conservation is concerned with our spiritual and mental, as well as material welfare, and that it's not enough to use forest resources wisely with the idea that forestry is an end in itself, but rather that the end is greater human happiness through wise forest management. And O'Hearn's book is all about the people who lived and worked in the timber woods before chainsaws and trucks and who witnessed firsthand how mechanization changed everything. So I spoke with Jay about his fascination with logging culture and what drew him to write Adirondack Timber Cruising and his earlier book, Life in a Northwoods Lumber Camp, and what is inspiring him towards his next volume, which is going to be called Adirondack Logging and will be out in 2021. But before we get started, I just want to thank our sponsor, John Deere. From steep slopes to wet terrain, the new John Deere 768-2 Bogey Skitter is a traction specialist designed to help you reach your fullest potential. Its incredibly stable, balanced bogey axles enable you to efficiently retrieve timber in those hard-to-reach places. If you move big loads long distances over rough ground, John Deere's 768-2 Bogey Skitter is a machine you can depend on. Contact your John Deere dealer today. Stay number one in the woods. For the Adirondacks, specifically for their logging, it had to do with one of my first occupations. I worked at a sawmill at Crockett's, New York. It was hard manual work. But I, I, for one reason or another, I, I was only 21 at the time, 2021. 20, I enjoyed the work. But listening to the old people, the older fellows talk, got me more interested in the cycle it had gone through. But from that time, from horses to mechanical equipment, I didn't last there long. I last there, I worked there for about a year. And unfortunately, their debarker caught fire and burned the ground, so I uh, went into another occupation for a while after that, but I think I was hooked on logging. Once I moved to Camden, New York, I met a lot of people who were were loggers or former loggers or people who worked in logging camps, and just getting together and listening to them talk and share their, swap their stories. I think it was by the time some of them started to die I started to realize that there were no books on the subjects I wanted to write about, and these people were dying, and the history was dying with them. So I, at that point, I thought, I'm going to start interviewing. And 
with really no idea of writing anything, but more of an advocation for me at that, at that period of time. But as more and more of them passed away, I realized that, and, and there were many people who shared, oh, I mean, had hundreds and hundreds of photographs, family photographs. And I thought, I've got to do something with them because I owe it to their memory. And so I just embarked on writing. Luckily, I had written some other books. I'm not trained as a writer at all. But um, after my first book on the Adirondacks Life with Noah, I, I just learned that, number one, I could write. And number two, I learned how to effectively write every, every time a new book came out. Based on my experience of writing, I knew I could put together some books that would carry on the life of the people who had passed away. And I'm glad I have now because every one of the folks except Ernest Partner has passed away. And I featured him in the logging book. So can you tell me a little bit about your research process? Because you've been so prolific as a writer and a researcher. That was a monumental problem, how I put it together. Because the logging book is, oh, I can't think of what, how many pages it is now. Oh, it's four, 464, 465. It was twice as large as that. Actually, more than twice as large. So I had to decide if I could only print most important part, what would it be? So I went through a lot of deliberation, and that's how I ended up with the chapters. However, I felt bad because I left a lot of history out, and it's history, honestly, that would be, it would die. And I it just couldn't, I just couldn't see myself doing that. So that's what led me to go in and do Adirondack timber cruising. Unfortunately, I didn't get everything in that book either. <laughs> and so I have another one. It's based more on my research in your archives because, well, Andrew Timmy Cruising was 550 pages. I probably ended up with another 400 or 500 pages left unpublished. So the wow. next one's going to be about the logging industries themselves, as well as some other areas that I didn't touch in the uh, other two books. So can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you have learned about how all this historical research is relevant to forest management and logging today? Yes and no. I can't explain that very precisely in the timber cruising. But the one thing I, I noted as talking to the, the older loggers is that they enjoyed their work. It didn't matter how hard the manual labor was. It didn't make any difference if they worked with horses or they were more modern and worked with powered machinery. They loved their work. And I know when I worked at the in the logging woods just for a short period of time, I knew how hard it was. And you'd think, why would they like this kind of work? It's so darn hard and demanding, but it was just something that they cherished. 
but they also cherished the fact that they wanted to have sustainable timber. And there isn't a single logger that I've ever spoken to that would trash a, a, a forest. I have great respect for the Gould Paper Company because they had hundreds of thousands of acres. They wanted to have it renewed every so many years. And to do that, it really comes down to dollar and cents. You're looking at what you can get now, but what it can generate in the future. Gould Paper Company was very good about protecting their forests for future harvests. And I know the smaller companies that took over their properties there in the Tug Hill now feel the same way. You know, a lot of the things that you've written about, these aren't famous people, they're not topics that might necessarily be headlines. So what draws you to writing about everyday life? Just the memorabilia. I know a lot of people that have, that, well, a number of people anyhow, that collect vintage logging machinery and equipment. Well, I've gone on several trips for what I call the ghosts of logging, and I've gone on bushwhacks for years looking for these ghosts that are supposed to be left back in the woods, and most commonly we don't find them. But there has been those gems that we have found. I have a friend who just got an old blend tractor. I can't think what age it was now, but it was an early 20 model. And uh, he, he that was yanked out from the woods. And I, I, I look at that when I drive by his house every time he has a park out front. I think, my God, he hadn't found that because he's restoring it. He's restored three other ones. Loggers and even people who aren't loggers are appreciative of the early machinery and how how they function. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I think that lots of people can be interested in that inside and outside the industry. Well, that's what surprises me is I have I meet people with book signings, and they they are they're just men and women that are have what you call maybe white collar occupations, but they don't have any connection to the logging woods at all. No no family, past family members were members. They're just interested in it. And that's why I've been happy that I put the time into putting the books together. So I wanted to ask you also about some of your older books. I wanted to ask you about the concept behind the Life in a Northwoods Lumber Camp book. I don't know if you're aware of who, who Thomas O'Donnell was. Well, you are now because you saw the book. But he was a New York State author. He was an author in his retirement. He wrote just about New York State. I am friends with his grandson, who shares the same name. And I was talking to him one day about the logging industry and my interest in it. And I said, by the way, Tom, do you know your grandfather wrote, well, drafted a, a, a manuscript about his own family life in the Northwoods Lumber Camp. And he said, we don't know anything about it. He says everything that was marked O'Donnell when the grandfather passed away had been lost earlier in a, in a house fire. I said, no. 
in an unmarked file in Syracuse University. I found it when I was doing research for another book on North Lake. And it was called Mala's Experiment. And he had a, a good rough draft, but it needed to be worked on. So the family gave me permission to work on it. And I said, I'll, I'll do my best to keep it in the style of your grandfather. What I liked about it especially was that it isn't just stories about being in the woods and working as a logger. It connected families with the logging industry. The O'Donnells wanted their, their, their workers to have their family in camp with them. They just thought it was a better style of work. What I didn't know is how common that was in the Adirondacks. Since the book came out, I've been heard people from different walks of life who had relatives who were in the logging industry, and they would say, my mom and dad or my father or my grandfather was involved in that type of style of logging. They didn't have to go out every week or stay in the woods all season. The family was in with them. And I thought that was more unique to the O'Donnells, but according to at least five different families that I've spoken to in the Adirondacks, it was like that in the Adirondacks, too, only in a smaller, smaller scale. Interesting. The O'Donnells were a larger scale. That is interesting. You know, I didn't really know anything about that history. Thomas has a... As a neat, I can't say his style is humorous, but it comes across as very warm and funny in a, in, a, in a nice way. And when he talks about doing things with the loggers that were there, they were sharing their lives. He shared 12 years of his life with the industry, learning about it, but the workers had the time to spend with their families in the woods and they took a lot of time with her family. That picture of the woman on the back of the cover with the feeding the deer with the flapjacks that were left over from supper. <laughs> just, just is charming because I look at it and I say, gosh, they love that kind of life and they cherish that kind of life. And I'm glad I was able to preserve it. I was never going to reprint the book, but it sold out so quickly that I... I reprinted it. I, I made everything smaller fonts and added more information. You've spent so much time looking at the history of logging in the Adirondacks, but where do you think that the industry is headed? I'm hopeful it's headed in a good direction. And for the most part, I think companies that are now have large preserves are looking toward the future. But it's changing a lot because one man can do the work of many men in the past. And it's getting expen it's getting very expensive for that one or two oper man operation. You see the cost of the equipment, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you, you only hope that, you know, a logger isn't feeling just for that big cash out, initial cash out. 
my 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 woodlots with that same premise in mind that I might not own them in the future, but I'm whatever they get passed on to, they're getting passed on as well managed. And so, what else do you think that people should know about your work, about the most recent book, and about the the new book that's coming out? What they say, what they seem to find very exciting. I hear it when I on that shows, and they go, "Oh my golly, look at all the pictures! I've never seen a book that has so many pictures. Pictures can say a thousand words, and I have been fortunate to." be able to collect a large number of pictures or photographs or snapshots, if you want to call them that. They're not really photographs. They were taken mostly by people who were in the woods. But people want to have books with pictures to help visualize the logging industry. You form images in your own mind when you see the pictures. Then when you read the text, you will come to understand the life, the style, the hardships, and the, and the interest that they have for doing that type of work comes across. Well, for instance, I took my own kids. So they don't know anything about logging, but they learn through the pictures. And so it's another form of education. I've done that with all my books, all my and that's why I publish on my own. You can't find, I haven't anyhow, I haven't found a, a comp- publishing company yet that wants to p- put the number, I put hundreds and hundreds of pictures in my books. Most publishing companies will give you, say, 50, maybe 100. And that's it, because the bottom line is that they want to make money. I'm, I'm interested in the history. I don't care about the money. I just break even. But I know that I've I've put out a product that nobody else can beat. They're going to appreciate it. And when I'm gone, dead and gone, then it's going to be my legacy that I've taken the time to first honor these people and the type of work and how the industry has changed. Well, I think that that is a beautiful legacy to have. Well, that's why why I made the decision to put in the... uh, the cooking section. I've known many women and men who were cooks and cookies in the lumber industry. And I thought, they're part of this whole process. You flush out the whole life of the logging industry by trying to include everything, even the stories that they used to tell. I don't want to keep you on the phone all afternoon and Thank you, and I have a good afternoon, and I'll just talk to you later. Okay, Eileen. You enjoy the afternoon, too. Bye-bye. Thank you to Jay for talking to us, and if you want to find out more about Jay's books, you can pick up a June copy of the Northern Logger magazine, where this interview is printed in full And it also has information about where to order Jay's books or find them in stores. I just want to thank our sponsor, John Deere, again. From steep slopes to wet terrain, the new John Deere 768-2 Bogey Skitter is a traction specialist designed to help you reach your fullest potential. Its incredibly stable, balanced bogey axles, 
help you to efficiently retrieve timber in those hard-to-reach places. If you move big loads long distances over rough ground, John Deere's 768-2 bogey skitter is a machine you can depend on. Contact your John Deere dealer today. Stay number one in the woods. <laughs>